Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are served from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band, full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more info. He was there at the birth of the nation. He successfully guided it through war and nurtured it in peace. How did he do it? Not by being a great general, a potent political theorist, or even a clever politician. He was none of those things. And yet he was admired by generals, political theorists, and politicians. Why? Because he was a man great men trusted. Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, James Madison, and so many others looked up to him. Literally. He was one of the tallest men of his era at six feet three. Add courage, integrity, and wisdom, and you have a truly impressive figure. Let's start with his courage. That was never in doubt. If anything, he had too much of it. Bold to the point of rashness as a young man, he fought for the British against the French over control of the Ohio Valley, then the westernmost point of the American wilderness. Throughout that conflict, known as the French and Indian War and the American Revolution, Washington was always in the thick of the action. His aides often struggled to keep him from surging too far ahead of his own troops. In one battle, his coat was pierced four times by musket fire. Horses were shot out from under him. Amazingly, some would say miraculously, he was never wounded, not so much as a flesh wound. By the time the revolution broke out in April of 1775, Washington was firmly committed to the cause of American independence. He arrived in Philadelphia in May of that year to offer his services to the Continental Congress. He was quickly made commander of the new rebel army. There was only one problem. There was no army to speak of. There was just a ragtag collection of state militias. How was Washington going to defeat the greatest military force in the world with that? It was a problem the general struggled with for eight and a half years. That he managed to hold the army together, organize it into a disciplined fighting force, and guide it to victory was testament to his fortitude, his patience, and his personal bravery. Of his integrity, one need only look at what he did when the war ended exactly what he had promised to do when the war began. He resigned his military command and went home to Mount Vernon. By stepping down, Washington raised himself up as the embodiment of Republican heroism. It is said that King George III asked the London-based American painter, Benjamin West, what Washington was likely to do when peace came. West replied that Washington would probably return to his farm. The king was astounded. If he does that, his majesty declared, he will be the greatest man in the world. This story may be apocryphal, but the Newburgh Rebellion and how Washington handled it is not. With experience had come wisdom. As the revolution wound down, a group of officers refused to give up their arms until they were paid. If they didn't get their money, which Congress didn't have, they would take control of the government. It was not an idle threat, no less a figure that Alexander Hamilton was in a panic. Washington, no great orator, sought to diffuse their anger. They had risked everything to create a Republican society, he told the officers. To abandon the cause now 
when true victory was so close would mean all their sacrifices would have been in vain. However convincing the speech may have been, it was a simple gesture that carried the day. He concluded his remarks by reading to them a letter sent to him from a member of Congress. Suddenly he stopped. From his pocket he pulled a pair of spectacles. None of the officers had ever seen him wear them. Putting the glasses on, Washington said, Gentlemen, you must pardon me. I have grown gray in the service of my country and now find myself going blind. He finished reading the letter and left the hall without another word. The gesture, sincerely offered with just the right touch of stagecraft, pierced the hearts of his men. Many were moved to tears. They immediately passed a resolution declaring their loyalty to civilian government. George Washington had saved the revolution once again. It wouldn't be the last time. During the writing of the Constitution and during his eight years as president, Washington was repeatedly called upon to hold the fractious young nation together. He never failed to do so. We commonly refer to George Washington now as the father of our country. It's hard to imagine any nation ever had a better one. I'm John Rodehamel, author of George Washington, The Wonder of the Age. What a great book. If you have never read it on this President's Day, I strongly recommend that you read The Wonder of George Washington, The Wonder of the Age. Um, it was one of the first books that I must admit was a complete surprise to me. You know, when you are growing up, oh, by the way, happy Monday. I, uh, so much to talk about, but it is President's Day, or that's what they call this. When I was growing up, we had uh, Washington's birthday, we had Lincoln's birthday. Apparently now all the presidents get lumped into this one day. But, uh, you know, I thought it would be interesting to talk about some of the presidents that have uh, been instrumental, integral, to the founding and then the building of this nation. And I sought out all experts, you know, so um, I don't want to do interviews. I found uh, clips by these various individuals who have written extensively about presidents, and I'll share them with you because I think people are not learning in school anymore. When I was growing up, we studied all manner of civics. We studied about the founding fathers, each one of them. Um, we read all the important documents from the Declaration of Independence through the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. As a matter of fact, today my video blog um, will be a, a sort of a, what do we, a cliff notes on the first ten amendments to the United States Constitution. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, but George Washington, when I was growing up, I remember in elementary school, there were two things that I remembered about George Washington. First was he was the first president of the United States of America. Second was that he had wooden teeth. Now, I don't even know to this day whether or not George Washington had wooden teeth. Um, but that certainly was what I was told. I was also told that he never told a lie, you know, and uh, that he admitted when he was a kid that he had chopped down the cherry tree. And I don't know today whether those um, legends were really true, but I do remember um, how when I finally got to uh, college, there was a course in a number of presidents. I think it was, they picked three presidents. I believe it was George Washington, 
Abraham Lincoln, and if memory serves me correctly, it was Dwight Eisenhower, which was an interesting combination, and I don't remember how it made it into the curriculum and how I ended up in that class, other than I've always been fascinated by the founding fathers, and even if uh, Dwight didn't count, I figured, was it Dwight? I'm still, I cannot remember if it was, uh, I, it might have been, might have been Truman. I, I, I just, you know, I, I must admit that I remember that the Washington and the Lincoln portions of the course were compelling, and the third and final one seemed like a little bit deflated because it wasn't as momentous as founding the uh, the country or as the emancipation uh, of slaves. And those were the things that I remembered about those two presidents. I I I I really feel sad for people who are growing up in this modern day America where. Um, we've been deprived of so much of our history, and it looks like it's only going to get worse. When you um, walk into a classroom, which I try to do occasionally, I don't get to do it as often as I did when my kids were still in school and I could visit their classrooms. Now you look a little odd if you walk into a school and say, can I uh, sit in on a class? They right away, you know, check their uh, sex uh, offender registries and uh you know, so I, I don't do it with quite the same frequency, although I do visit my grandson's school. I, I don't necessarily go into his class. And, and I think it's important that we pay attention to what our children are being taught and more important to what they're not being taught. And they are not being taught anything about the greatness of America, the greatness of our um, original founders, any of that. If anything, they are being taught to be very wary and very cautious in any in any expression of patriotism or of love of country and you know we saw that most recently there was some child here in the state of florida who uh, refused to pledge allegiance uh, to the flag because he he said it was a racist flag and we're a racist country and i i know why kids feel that way they are being taught that not just in school, but on television and in the media of all kinds, uh, inter internet, YouTube videos, and all the rest of it. And of course, um, that's what they're hearing coming out of the mouths of their parents and teachers, that there is something less than wonderful about the United States of America, and that it, here it is. Well, I will uh, you know, share with you when we come back a little montage of just exactly how much uh, certain anchors on television, how they don't like this country, how they really um, will believe anything bad about this country that you can possibly say, any negative story about the president, any negative story about anyone who supports the president, any negative story about the military, any negative story about the police. Um, our young people are believing those things. They're hearing them over and over again. And their heroes are, in many instances, are the ones saying it. And that is why um, they're so confused. They are just so misguided. And it's our responsibility to fix that. If your kids are not learning things in school that you think are important about this country, then you need to go to the library with them. I know that seems like an old-fashioned concept, but there are still public libraries, and you can still go into one with your children or your grandchildren and begin the process of educating them in this nation. I think it's, I think it's the only hope that we have uh, for restoring some of the love and dignity 
that uh, American citizens used to have for their country. And I really, uh, you know, I think that uh, this last two, three weeks was a very clear indicator to me um, how we need to address this. We can't just sit around and, and, and argue with one another or stop talking to one another as I had that experience in the last two weeks and so many others. Since I shared that, I've heard from numerous people who've got family members who don't talk to them anymore, have got friends that they can't associate with anymore. And um, this country was bounded on, you know, founded on, on a dialogue. A dialogue that was to constantly take place. That's what the people's house is for. It's the house that represents the will of the people, which is supposed to be the way this country uh, heads. We're supposed to determine the direction that we head in. And we send these elected representatives up there who represent small parts of our country, but our own communities. And then they're supposed to bring our viewpoints up to Washington and they're supposed to bring back information to us. That doesn't happen anymore. I don't get my information from um, uh, Ted Deutsch. He sends me uh, an invitation to a town hall meeting once a year. And if I can't make it, well, then so what? I don't get to hear anything. The only time I see my congressman is when he's got, you know, FaceTime on MSLSD. That's it. You know, I don't I don't get to tell him anything. If I try to communicate with him, I'm immediately, uh, you know, dis disregarded or branded or whatever. And And you've had the same experience. I know you have. So we got to restore this republic, and and I'm going to uh, do my bit. I'm going to ask you to do your bit. Educate your children. They should know who the first president of the United States was and what he was all about. Enjoy Friday night dinners at the American German Club. Doors open at 5 p.m. every Friday night of the year. Dinner, dessert, and coffee services are optional, sir, from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. only. There's a live band from 7 to 11 playing ballroom, standards, party music, and German traditional. Full bar with liquor and wine, including German and domestic beers on tap. $10 for admission and dinner is just $12. Visit AmericanGermanClub.org for more information. I also wanted to tell you that uh, there's going to be an event for the Honor Flights. It's the first Honor Flight Sporting Clays Classic at the Elite South Florida Shooting Club in Palm City. And uh, this is a chance for you to pull for your veterans. That's what they say when you skeet shoot. Anyway, you're going to you pay uh, a fee to participate. And uh, you'll, it's going to be on March 2nd, which is a Saturday. And it's a 9 a.m. shotgun start, literally. And there'll be breakfast and registration. Then you get a safety bri briefing. And then there will be lunch and raffles and awards um, immediately following the uh, competition. And you can register yourself or a team of four. And uh, they'll have raffles and all kinds of good, good prizes, like a fishing uh, charter for four, a whole full day. Um, they're giving away a 12-gauge semi-automatic shotgun, a Beretta A300 Outlander, um, and they're also going to be giving away a new membership to the South Florida Shooting Club, which is a nice deal as well for those of you up on the north end who can't make it to Gun World to South Florida. I feel sorry for you, but there's always good places for you to go. All the funds raised will go directly uh, to fly local World War II, Korean, and War Vietnam War veterans to Washington, D.C. for a day of honor and to visit the memorials that were built 
for their service and sacrifices. I have been on an honor flight, and there is absolutely, um, it is an incredible experience for the veterans and for anyone else who gets to be around there. If you want to be a guardian, just uh, get a hold of this, you know, the uh, honor flight folks and get involved in this. All right, so if you want to be part of the South Florida um, shooting event, you must register. And the easiest way to do that is to probably to go either to, um, well, I'll tell you what, if you're not going to be able to go there, try, try this, okay? The phone number is 772-215-9107. That's 772-215-9107 and sign up. Uh, this is just going to be a, a fun afternoon and a good way to support Honor Flight, which I believe um, is worth supporting. So I was talking about how, you know, really we are just so poorly educated in this country right now. Um, not because there isn't, uh, there aren't quality teachers. I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not blaming, uh, teachers for the curriculums that are being used in schools today. Whenever you take something as important as history or social studies or whatever it's called in the modern, uh, you know, classroom. It was social studies and history when I was growing up. And certainly we had civics. We had government classes throughout middle school and high school. And today I noticed that uh, they, they practically tell your children that history started in the 60s. Um, I was alive in the 60s. Trust me, there was a lot of history prior to that. Um, you know, one of the things that I think people need to, well, I'll tell you one of my favorite places to go, or I don't even know if it still exists because I have not been to Disney World in quite some time. I really am due for a trip trip with um, maybe the grandkids or something. I've been to the um, to the Universal with a grandkid, but not to... Um, any of the Disney's and remember the Hall of Presidents because I think a lot of people really you know thought that this was not uh, a fun part of the the trip my kids loved the Hall of Presidents they really did um, especially when it came to you know some of the more contemporary presidents that they had some kind of clue you have to understand my daughter was born Jimmy Carter was the president um, so her her concept is from Carter forward. Um, my son, I believe, was was he at the end of the Carter? Well, whatever. It was either uh, the beginning of the Reagan administration or the end of the Carter administration when he was born. But uh, their experience is very limited. And when they were going to school, there was some attention paid to the founding fathers. Um, not a whole lot. To be honest with you, they didn't know as much as I did when they graduated college as I knew when I graduated middle school, which is a shame. But one of the things that happens in that Hall of Presidents is they have that uh, animatronic thing, right? And I, I was always um, mesmerized, I guess is the only way I could say it, by the animatronic of, of uh, the, the President Lincoln. Because, of course, it was the Gettysburg Address. And nobody knows what President Lincoln's voice would have sounded like. I mean, obviously, um, there's no recordings. I think there weren't recordings until probably uh, maybe a decade after he was actually there. Um, 
So it's kind of kind of interesting. Plus, he was reputed to have a speech impediment, which I don't know if that's uh, accurate or not. But uh, it would be interesting if I could find the Gettysburg Address. Now, it will not be in the president's voice, but it will be the words. So uh, let's see if we can do that now. You ready? Put it back. All right. The Gettysburg Address by Abraham Lincoln. November 19th, 1863. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation, or any nation so conceived and so dedicated, can long endure. We're we are met on a, on a great, great battlefield. battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But, in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have, have consecrated, consecrated it, far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. When you think about that text, you know, and I don't know about the rest of you, but I had to memorize that when I went to school. I had to mem memorize the preamble of the Constitution. I had to memorize... Uh, the Declaration of Independence, and uh, and we didn't think that that was, you know, too much to do. You know, now I look at kids today, and if they can't pull it up on a Google search engine, they're not interested in even discussing anything. But I remember um, I had to, not only was I, uh, in, was it insisted that I learn it, but I had to understand it. I had to know what four score and seven years was. I had to know um, what a a government of the people by the people for the people meant and i don't believe that young people know that anymore i don't think that they understand um what it means to give the last full measure of devotion you know men and women who go out on the battlefield today still give that last full measure of devotion many of them do not get to come home and we have to resolve, just as Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address, that the dead shall not have died in vain. 
You know, there are certain parts of the Gettysburg Address that I remember um, to this day, and I sort of said them out loud when it was airing, you know, that we are, we are met on a great battlefield. And, and I, I had to learn what that meant, what it meant to dedicate a portion of a field for those who gave their lives so that we might live. I don't understand how you can be embarrassed about a country that has that caliber of people in it. I really don't. And I am infuriated, I'll tell you. I, I spent this weekend um, with a lot of unresolved anger because there are people in the, my country right now, in our country right now, who would throw this whole experiment out Call it a failure because of a political agenda. And that to me is so demoralizing because they have a platform. Many of them have huge platforms. You know, I watched the insanity over the last uh, week or so of trying to unwind themselves from this insanity is what it is, insanity that uh you know that we will believe any horrible thing you could say about Americans about Trump supporters we'll believe it we'll believe it we'll promote it we'll keep saying it and nobody has the nerve except a handful and you know in case anybody forgets i came out right at the top of this and i said that uh, i was not sure if uh jesse smollett was telling the truth or not i knew something had happened but i didn't know what it was and I was really disturbed by what the media kept saying and how they just automatically accepted that, uh, of course, MAGA hat-wearing Trump supporters are racist. I mean, they just, just you know, accepted that. And when we come back from this break, I'm going to play a montage of all of those personalities out there in, uh, in America's media and what they had to say. And, and you can add to that all of the sick politicians who jumped on it immediately for their own political purposes, never once saying, let's wait and see what really happened that day. So stay right where you are. They want to bring this country down, but there are always going to be a handful of patriots like you and me who will do whatever we can to restore the dignity that this country deserves. His attackers hurled racial and homophobic slurs. Two people yelled racist and homophobic slurs. Racial and homophobic slurs. Not only homophobia, we're talking about racism. We're talking about hate with steroids. They are looking for two suspects who were apparently wearing Make America Great Again hats. The offenders uttered, this is MAGA country. The hate crime went down early this morning in Chicago. Officials are investigating the alleged assault as a hate crime. And now police say they're investigating this as a possible hate crime. Anyone attacked in a hate crime like this is an outrage. This is, this is stomach-turning, mine boggling mm -hmm. information it's, it's out of control speaker of the house nancy pelosi tweeting the racist homophobic attack on jesse smollett is an affront to our humanity and senator cory booker said the vicious attack on actor jesse was an attempted modern-day lynching kamala harris calling the attack an attempted modern-day lynching but i'm so shaken by the story this is horrible to report this is a horrible story i like this is a horrible story yeah i mean the wow. circumstances is just horrific horrendous and unacceptable 
absolutely despicable. Yeah, a lot of people can't believe this is actually happening in 2019. It's hard to believe that we're reporting, that we're even saying words like this in 2019. Mm -hmm. mm. This is America in 2019. No, it's not America in 2019, you dumb witch and all the rest of those dumb witches and uh, and warlocks because they would have you to believe that anybody who supports this president, anybody who puts a Make America Great Again hat on is racist and homophobic, and it's simply untrue. And the more they fabricate these things or they uh, over-exaggerate these things or their assumption uh, is automatically against the people who have those hats on like it was with the kids from the Kentucky Christian school and the um, Native American who had the face off. It's always the press immediately jumps to what bad people uh, Trump supporters are and how Trump himself is a racist. And yet over and over and over again, we find out that it's just not true. All the hate crime hoaxes that took place on college campuses in 2018. Do you realize there were 55 hate hoax crimes or hoax hate crimes is probably the right way to say it in just a brief matter of time, like a year. What's wrong with this picture? They're willing to lie to get you to hate this country to unsettle it let me tell you the scariest part they're trying to to sell a fake race war that's what they're trying to do my husband has said to me over and over again he doesn't think they're they're failing he thinks they have in fact launched a race war in this country